there. I, I got the special light here. I'm good. Come on. Come on, Lee. Is it on? Sorry, that was mean. That, that one's on. We can turn that one off. What would church be without a little technical difficulty? If you want to turn to 1 Peter 4, you can go ahead and we're going to camp out there for this morning. Is that good? Did we fix it? Oh, they're sending my wife back there now. Now it's real. All right, if you want to just flip to 1 Peter 4, we're going to look at uh, 12 to 19 uh, this morning. But just before we get there, I need to clarify two things from last week. Uh, First, sorry if you were here last week. It was really long. It won't be long today, I promise. I have... uh, various people that are going to signal to me if we go that long. Uh, The reason why is this. Um, Two weeks ago, Russ came from the AGC to preach, and so I had two weeks to prepare. That's not a good thing. And I had to read two books about preaching for seminary class, and that wasn't a good thing either. And so I tried to jam way too much in there last week, so we're not going to do that this week. So It's good because there's no Sunday school this morning, so the kids don't have to deal with that. The second thing is at the end of our text last week, so beginning kind of in verse uh, 8, 9, 10, and 11, there's several commands that Peter gives that we looked at. So we looked at um, loving one another earnestly, uh, showing hospitality to one another, uh, using the gifts that God has given to uh, us to serve the church. And, And one of the things in there, I said about hospitality is is I focused on one aspect of it is that we as Christians are to be known. uh, Kyle Eidelman says it this way in his study through it. He says, we're to be known for two things, how we live and how we love. Uh, And we've quoted a couple of those verses uh, through this series, but in John 13, 35, Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And then Uh, In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, um, he's talking about how people will recognize you, and he says, thus you will recognize them by the fruit that they produce. So how we live and how we love. And so I focused on the idea of hospitality in the sense of how we interact with one another as the church. That we are to show hospitality to one another because we love each other. And that's certainly true, but as I kept going back into the previous context of last week to get into this week, I realized that if you go into the original language, if you interpret this, uh, literally it would say this, is love and care for strangers. Is That's what we're called to do, more so than just the, the element within the church. And as I was thinking about that, I was reminded of how weird uh, a place it is to live in Banff. Um, a couple of months ago, Shayla and I were having breakfast. We had friends that were visiting us, and we were having breakfast at the window. And because our window kind of, they were open, and you can kind of see us from the street, all of a sudden there was a knock at one of the windows. And we looked out, and there was just some dude with his backpack. It was pouring rain, and he uh, knocked on the door, and, and he, so we opened it, and he said, do you have any breakfast for me? And we were like, all right, sure, it's Banff, why not? So uh, invited him in, and, and it's kind of a hilarious story that I don't have time to get into this morning. But the point being is that that is the kind of thing that in the text, when we're to entertain strangers, that when somebody comes and interrupts our seemingly perfect Saturday morning with our friends that we haven't seen in months, it's very easy 
to look at that and to go, well, we don't really have time. Here's where you can go. Here's what you can do. And, and often we pass the buck. And in a moment that I don't know why I said yes, other than the fact that it was just this crazy situation, I was probably just caught off guard and the boldness of somebody to knock on my window and ask for food was, was unique. But that's the kind of thing that we're called to do. And, and more so than to respond is that we are to extend that invitation. If we see somebody in need, we are to show hospitality to them. And it can be so much easier to wait until we're asked. And so that story is not me patting us on the back uh, because that's not the point. The point is to look at it when we see things around our world and we go, there's a responsibility there to do something about it. I need to entertain that person that person needs some help. That person needs a place to stay. That person needs some food. It's my responsibility as a Christian to love those strangers. And so I just wanted to clarify that aspect of it so that we don't just focus on within the church, but we also focus uh, from the outside as well. So if you haven't been with us through 1 Peter, 1 Peter has been dealing with uh, suffering. This is a very practical subject, uh, but it's a very difficult subject. Shayla and I spent quite a bit of time last night. Uh, I, I had a line here in one of, my, in one of the sections that I was going to say, and I wasn't sure how to say it clearly um, with the proper authority of what Scripture teaches in it, and yet gently enough to, and clearly enough to explain what it means. And so I just want to say this, that if you are suffering this morning, whatever that suffering is, if you are going through difficulty, through a time of grief, through pain, whether that's physical or emotional, all of us are going to suffer. And the question is, how are we going to respond to that suffering? And I've said that many times, but I don't want you to hear this. That if you suffer in an immature way, if you get angry with God, if you get frustrated, if you cry out to God and, and, and you don't have faith in that moment that he knows what's going on, that doesn't mean that you're this horrible person that God no longer loves. It means that you're human and that you're going through very difficult circumstances. We, we are called, and Peter is calling us to prepare ourselves so that when we go through suffering, we already are prepared and have the correct attitude. But the reality is, is that doesn't always happen. You know, I would love to say that Shayla and I never have an argument anymore and that I've learned to just be loving all the time. Unfortunately, that's not true. I would love to say that as a parent that I never lose my temper, that I'm always calm and patient, but that's not true. Is there are many, many moments where we know the good that we are supposed to do, know how we should respond, and yet we respond in our humanity. We respond frustrated, angry, whatever it might be. And what I want you to understand here is God isn't going to turn and walk away from you because you didn't respond with the most mature response that you should have. And so when we're reading through this text, and we're going, man, I, I don't know if I can rejoice in suffering. Yes, it's a command, but it's a command to mature and to grow up into. You don't come to faith in Christ and then no longer struggle. You don't come to faith in Christ and then go, oh, now this is how I respond from now on, always when this situation presents itself. Life is still very difficult and very messy. And so I just want to encourage you that as we go through this, that this is, yes, Peter is speaking the truth to us, and yes, this is how we should respond to sufferings, but if you don't respond to suffering this way, God is big enough to understand and to handle that. He's not going to turn and run away. 
And in fact, as Shayla and I were talking, the story of the prodigal son kept coming back to my mind is this idea that the son left his father, wanted nothing to do with him, ended up hitting rock bottom, realizing I should go back to him. And the father wasn't just sitting there in his nice chair waiting for him to come back and then going to explain, okay, now you have all these consequences because of this behavior. What we read is that the father runs out to him. Because we have a God who loves us desperately, despite how we sometimes react and how we sometimes treat him. And I think sometimes I need to be reminded of that, and especially as we go through 1 Peter, is if you read it and you go, man, I'm not there yet. It's a journey. It's a process. We mature day after day, but that doesn't mean that we don't struggle any longer. So let's read these verses together. And let's be challenged by what it says. So verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you were insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of God, uh, sorry, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is a time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, then what will the outcome, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So he begins this section. Uh, he's been preparing us, talking about you are going to suffer. Here's how you should respond when you suffer. And here's what suffering exists for. And, and now he says, don't be surprised when it comes upon you. And there's two things here in this text. So one, it's implicitly stated, uh, and then one is the assumption of it. So he says, do not be surprised at the fire trial when it comes upon you to test you. So that reminder, again, is that the trial, the suffering, the pain that you are facing in your life right now, God has purpose in that. God is using that to mature you. And, and it's a strange thing because sometimes it feels like suffering does the exact opposite of that. Sometimes suffering shows us just how far we have to grow. We go through, uh, we find out someone we know has died, we, someone we love has a disease, maybe you've been diagnosed with the disease, and, and we know intellectually that this God has allowed in my life and has purpose and meaning, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy to walk through doesn't all of a sudden mean that we don't wake up in the middle of the night anxious and filled with stress and anxiety, unsure of how to respond to the situation, unsure of why God's allowed that to happen to you, or, or even this is often we don't understand what the purpose in that suffering is. We know it's there to test us. We know it's there for purpose and for meaning, but often that purpose and meaning isn't clear until much later in the journey. The second thing that we see in there is the implication as it, where he says, as though something strange were happening to you, is this implication of this is going to happen to you, and it's not strange. It's actually, according to Romans, for your good 
It is for your good because everything that God does is ultimately meant to bring us closer to maturity in a better and a closer walking relationship with Jesus Christ. And the crazy part is, is a loving father will allow pain and suffering to happen if that pain and suffering can have purpose and have meaning. And that's sometimes difficult to swallow. Sometimes we look at God and we go, why would you allow this to happen? This doesn't make any sense. This hurts. But if you have a a son or a daughter, then, then you know. You've gone through moments where you've had to discipline your children, not because you wanted to, not because you enjoyed it, not because it was fun. It hurts you and, and nothing in us wants to have to deal with those things. But it's completely unloving to not discipline. And God would be completely unloving to not allow us to go through things that bring us to maturity. Paul talks about it in Ephesians with the armor of God and he says that he prepares you for battle and so get these tools that you have at your disposal and use them to go off into battle and be prepared for that battle. Battle is not easy, right? And right now we're remembering uh, this holiday, this weekend, dealing with what was lost and the price that was paid for our freedoms in our country, nobody walks into war and into battle and comes out completely unharmed. And so we are walking into a spiritual battle where the enemy is attacking us and wants to hurt us and ultimately wants to kill us. And so if we prepare ourselves for that battle and understand that the battle is coming, use the tools at our disposal then we will be prepared for that battle and we will start to look for moments in that battle of teaching in our lives so that we can mature and we can grow. Suffering all has purpose. And yet sometimes it can be like, God, why would you allow this to happen? There's no good in this. Your spouse dies. You have a child that passes away. Your parents are killed in a car accident. Whatever it might be in those moments where there can be seemingly no good to come out of it, what we have to realize is that God works far beyond just our lives, but he works in a holistic way that affects everybody around us. And the reality is is that we will not know this side of eternity why God allows certain things to happen to us, at least in the specific sense of it. And so if we try and just look for, I have to understand, God, why did you allow this to happen? Then we're only going to mature to a certain point. But if we can say to God, okay, God, this hurts. I don't understand why you've done this, but would you help me to be faithful in my response and in my hurt and in my pain to bring you glory and honor? That's what God's after because that shows maturity. Andy Stanley once said it this way, people very rarely ever come to faith because all their questions get answered. And that's just the truth of it. Is if somebody comes and says, why has God done this? I'm never going to be able to give a satisfactory answer for someone to go, okay, I can trust that God because I don't know. And the difficulty and the struggle that you're facing this morning, outside of it being God's purposes to mature you, I don't understand why he has allowed some of those things to happen. But if 
we understand that God loves us desperately, and so some of this suffering, some of this discipline, some of the various things that we're going through are his gifts to us for our good. If we could grasp that in, a, in a, the proper perspective, we would probably respond more maturely every single time. C.S. Lewis wrote it this way in, in his book, God in the Dark. He says, imagine a set of people all living in the same building. Half of them think that it's a hotel and the other half think it's a prison. Those who think that it's a hotel might regard it as quite intolerable, but those who thought it was a prison might decide that it was really surprisingly comfortable. So that what seems the ungodly doctrine is one of comfort and strengthens you in the end. The people who try to hold an optimistic view of this world would become pessimists. The people who hold a pretty stern view of it become optimistic. C.S. Lewis's point in that is that if we view this world, or, or more, maybe more specifically, if, if we view God as God will only give us good things, then when negative things come, we'll have a very improper view of who God is. But if we understand that God will allow pain and hurt and suffering, and even according to this text, verse 19, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good, is God wills some of our suffering in that way. And so if we understand that God will allow and, and give us some of those things because he's a good father who loves us, hopefully we will respond far more maturely than if we think, how could God do this? Why would God do this? And it's much like a child who is being disciplined by their parents for doing wrong and they're just angry at their parents for the punishment, for the discipline, for the, for the consequences that happened. The issue is not that. The issue is understanding and learning to do what's right and what's good. John Piper says it this way, God loves us so much that he will not spare us anything to get out of what he hates that's in us. When I read that sentence, I, I, I immediately didn't like it because as soon as you word the word, use the word God and the word hate in the same sentence, it just kind of strikes me wrong sometimes. But if you think about it, is what the scripture says is that God loves us desperately, but yet God hates the sin within us. And so if his desire is to mature us so that we come more like Christ, then there is nothing that he is not going to do to get that out of us because that is the most loving thing he can do for us. And so a correct theology of suffering is, is essential to our maturity. Now again, that doesn't mean that we always respond well. That doesn't mean that I always respond well. There's lots of times where I can read this and I can study this and I can go through a week of this and something can happen to me and my first response is, God, why would you do this? Rather than, I just read how I'm supposed to respond. and I know what I should do is we're constantly fighting the sin nature that is at war within us against the Holy Spirit. And as we mature more and more and we become more and more like Christ, hopefully we will respond more the way that God is calling us to respond. But again, the only way we're going to do that is if we prepare ourselves for battle, we understand God in a correct way and realize that this is for our good. All right, here I am saying we weren't going to go long and we just finished verse 12. It's okay. Uh, verse 19 again 
says the same thing as 12. And when you come to a section like this, where you have 12 and then you have 19, the beginning and the end of the section saying the same thing, basically everything else in it exists to support that main point. So that's what we need to understand. If you forget everything else, that's a depressing thought. Uh, If you forget everything else that we talked about when you walk out of here this morning, is prepare yourself for suffering and know that Suffering is not bad. It hurts, it's painful, but it can be good for us. We can mature through it. We simply need to realize that God loves us desperately and that when we hurt, that God hurts. Verse 13 is then the command given to us in this text, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. This idea of glory is important, especially in this text. And and our understanding of what the word means really depends on whether we're viewing it from a worldly context or from a biblical context. Is if we think that that God's glory is going to be revealed, and we only think of that in in a positive um, way. So you think of the Old Testament as the Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah to come. And Jesus comes, but Jesus doesn't come and just reign the way that they expect. They expected Jesus to come and to establish himself over uh, the political entities that existed and rule and bring peace to the nation, which he is going to do. But first, according to Isaiah, he came to be our suffering servant. And so many of the Jews missed that because they were viewing very clearly what they thought God was going to look like and what God was going to do in the Messiah. And in the same way for us, is if we think of glory only as, as in kind of that worldly mindset, we're going to miss exactly what God's talking about. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says this, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When we often talk about it this way. We say the glory of the cross. Yet the cross, if you look at the cross, is an instrument of wickedness. And torture, total un- injustice. And yet, what was the most degrading symbol for mankind at that point, Jesus came and he changes it so that when you are found in faith, that you look up at the cross and you see the cross and, and you don't see wickedness, rather you see the love of Jesus for you, that he sacrificed his very life for you so that you might have life. God takes the broken and he takes the ugly and he turns it into something beautiful. And so the cross screams of God's glory. But so often we only think of glory as in getting the accolades for a job well done. Being praised upon by our fellow people around us. uh, Getting winning the big game, getting the touchdown, whatever analogy you want to use, is that's where we think of glory, where we're elevated, where we're exalted, where people look at us and they go, wow, look what he's done. But that's not the biblical view of glory. The biblical view of glory points away from my life, points to Jesus Christ and says, look how awesome and amazing Christ is. And so when I go through suffering and pain, the world sees that and goes, why would he respond that way? Because it points to the glory of God. 
It says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I came across a story this week from Corey Ten Boom. And when she was a little girl, um, she was reading, I don't know exactly the section of Scripture, but one much like this where it was talking about suffering. And she looked at her father and she said to her dad, Dad, I don't know if I would be strong enough to ever be a martyr. Her dad looked at her and he responded with a question of his own. And he said, when we go get ready to go on the train, when do I give you the money for the ticket? Do I give it to you three weeks in advance? And she looks up at her dad and she says, well, no, you give it to me right before we get on the train. And in the same way, in a perfect world, we would like to be prepared for everything that comes our way well in advance. But then we don't have to trust in God, then we're trusting in ourselves. Luke 12, 11 and 12 says this, When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. None of us are prepared to go through the suffering that is, that is coming, at least not fully prepared. We can be intellectually prepared. We can, we can have the correct theology and all those things. But what we have to do is we have to rely on the Holy Spirit and how he's going to respond in and through us in those moments. And I think that provides us a great deal of comfort and strength because it's not that God is standing there up in heaven trying to make us fail so that he goes, look, look how weak you are. No, he's trying to give the Holy Spirit to you in great measure for you to say, look, at your moment of desperate weakness, I will help and I will be there. I will give you the words to say or maybe alternatively, I'll give you the words that you don't need to say so that you can keep your mouth shut in those moments. Shayla and I were discussing this and we looked at the story of Job and again, the story of Job is such a good reminder for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is Job's friends did basically nothing good for him except keep their mouths shut for maybe 10 minutes. And then they started to give answers. Here's why you're suffering. Here's why you're going through what you're going through. Sometimes when we're suffering, we need to keep our mouths shut. Sometimes when our friends and our family are suffering, we just need to go and cry with them, just go and hurt with them and not try to give them answers. Because again, trying to give someone an answer for the reason that they suffer is putting yourself in the place of God. To know exactly why we go through the situations that we go through, only God knows that. And he says, don't let you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, right? He's saying, not all that kind of suffering can be good. If you're, if you're suffering for the stupidity of your own mistakes, your own wickedness, that's your own fault. He's saying, don't suffer that way. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Again, that glory. And then there's this kind of confusing verse here, verse 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what then will be the outcome for those who do not obey God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So here Peter's quoting uh, Proverbs 11.31. But if you go back to Proverbs 11.31, we won't for the sake of time here, but if you go back to it, it actually is translated a little bit differently. And so my first question is, 
very rarely is Scripture ever quoted in quotations where it's different. And so I started to kind of question into that, and there's a very simple answer for that is this, is Peter's quoting the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so it's just slightly different in there. The meaning doesn't change, but just some of the words are slightly different there because he's simply quoting the Greek translation of the Hebrew text. But it sounds like he's saying uh, if the righteous is scarcely saved, it's like, it's like we're just barely saved. Well, that doesn't make it sound like Jesus is all-sufficient for everything that we need then. It sounds like he just barely accomplished what his purposes are. And so I want to read to you uh, what commentator Thomas Schreiner says to try and clarify this. He says, Scarcely saved does not mean that the righteous is just barely going to receive salvation. Scarcely, which is from the Greek meaning with difficulty, means that the righteous are saved in the midst of suffering. Their salvation is not easy and simple. So for us, salvation cost God Jesus Christ's life. Salvation cost Jesus on the cross, not just a little bit of suffering, not just a little pain, it cost him everything. The salvation was not easy. It cost a great deal. And that's the thing that we need to remind ourselves of so often is the price that Christ paid so that we could be in relationship with him because that'll take our eyes off of ourselves, back onto him, and we'll go, God, you love me desperately despite what I've done or what I've said. God, you love me despite how I've lived or how I've chosen to respond to some of these situations. Again, I want you to hear this, is your response to suffering and pain is not always going to be the mature response that we desire and that we hope for. Sometimes we're going to respond very negatively to that. That doesn't mean that God loves us any less. And if you go through the loss, a a, a huge grief, perhaps the loss of a spouse, and you're angry and you're bitter at God, Shayla said it to me this way yesterday, is God's big enough to handle that. The, The danger is if we remain and we stay bitter and angry with God. Peter's telling us not to live like that. You read through the Psalms and you read through some of David's outcrying. This is a man who has said he was a man after God's own heart. And yet he was a man who cried out to God and said, why are you doing this? Why would you let the wicked flourish? And why are you making me hide here? And why am I going through all this pain and suffering? And he was actually quite angry with God a lot of times. Now hopefully as we mature, that anger is less and less and less and less. And how we respond to those situations becomes more mature. But suffering and grief and pain, all these things are a process. And our own spiritual maturity is a process. So understand this, that if today you're frustrated and you're angry with God, you're going through crisis right now in your life, you're going through a a big stress, a, a big difficulty, and you're frustrated and you're angry with God, know that God loves you desperately just as much as he did when you responded positively. God loves us so much. Scripture says it this way, that at the right time, that while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. Christ didn't look at us and go, oh, I know you're going to be mature, and so I'm going to 
offer my body for you. I'm going to offer my life for you. He says, while you hated me and while you wanted nothing to do with me, I love you desperately and I'm going to offer my life for yours. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So there's two last things here. Entrust your soul. If you're suffering this morning and if you're angry, entrust your soul to God even though you're frustrated, even though you have hurt and anger. Entrust your soul to him because an eternity with God doesn't even compare. We can't even compare that with the suffering that we're going through right now. Yes, the suffering we're going through right now is painful, difficult, filled with difficulty, and there maybe seems like there's no end to it. But the reason God is doing, allowing that suffering now in our lives is to mature us now so that we can be with him for eternity. So entrust your soul to God. Then he says, while doing good. Don't give up on doing the things that you know are right just because you're going through suffering and pain. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the strength to do what's right, despite how you feel. That's probably the truest thing in in my own life, in my own spiritual growth, is not that I just grew up and all of a sudden did all the right things all the time, was that I had to plead with God, would you help me do the right thing despite what I'm feeling? Would you help me respond in a way that honors you despite what I want to say and what I want to do and what I want to feel. Next week, we're going to finish through 1 Peter. And he's going to challenge us some very difficult things. But this book is so practical for all of us because like Lee said, while we may not be suffering the way that some are in parts of the world, we all do suffer. We all go through hardship. We all go through pain. If we can learn and prepare ourselves as best as we can before that comes and have a proper understanding of God and his love for us, then hopefully we will respond more and more in a mature way and we will grow more and more in our faith with Christ. Let's pray. God, for all of us this morning, We all have suffered, and we all will suffer at times in our lives. And so, God, I pray that we would prepare ourselves for the suffering, that we would do everything that we can to understand that all suffering that you will use for good, that you love us desperately, and that you will turn everything into a beautiful redeeming act because that's who you are and that's what you do. But, God, we know that despite how we may mature every day, there are moments where we fall back a little bit. And so God, for those who this morning are hurting and who are hurting and and they seemingly have no hope, they're frustrated, they're perhaps angry with you, help them to understand that you love them desperately just as much now in their moment of heartache as in their moment of rejoicing. God, when we go through this suffering, when we go through this pain, would you indwell us with the Holy Spirit so that we could respond, not in a way that we want to naturally, 
but that we would submit to his leading in our life so that you can do that you can do things in our life that we wouldn't dream of being able to do in those moments. God's suffering is painful and it's hard, but we read here that it's a gift from you because it will mature us. So God, would you help us to see it that way? Would you mature us more and more every day into becoming more like Jesus Christ? God, thank you. Thank you that as Hebrews says that we have a high priest who understands what it is to suffer. That you know and that you understand the hurt and the pain that we go through. And so we can entrust ourselves to you. God, thank you for this reminder. Thank you for what your text says to us. And we pray that it would really challenge and impact our hearts and our minds. God, we love you. Amen. Again, there